right. Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. This week, you've got myself, Nick, and Brennan. Uh, we're talking about lots of things. So we've got Tended on the docket, as well as some other box office information, some craziness going on over with the people at Netflix, and quite a few other things. Uh, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Uh, so Tenet has been out for over a week. Um, internationally, it's been out for about a month, but domestically, uh, it's been out for the past two weekends. It opened over Labor Day weekend, um, and it's just been really hard to track box office-wise. So it it obviously has been pretty low compared to what you would have expected from you know, a Christopher Nolan movie who normally just rakes in cash. Um, this past weekend, it only pulled in about $6.7 million domestically. Um, it was only about $20 million last week, uh, which normally I'd say for this kind of movie um, with a budget and spectacle and premium options is um, rampant as Tenant has. You'd expect it to be a lot lower than that. I think last week is weird because it opened on Labor Day weekend, which is typically a no-no for any movie that hopes to make money. But we're also in the middle of a pandemic, and it's kind of the first thing to open since March. And I really don't know how to interpret this. Uh, Warner Brothers is also being really stingy, giving out its exact box office numbers uh, to the annoyance of other studios. So it's just Tenet is just kind of all sorts of chaos right now. Yeah, I feel like for the past few weeks, I've had this kind of like inter internal struggle of like, okay, we're going to talk about box office stuff again, because things are opening up. But how do I talk critically about this and not sound really, really stupid? Because <laughs> there's like so many different factors that are going into this. Uh, like, yeah, like you said, like, it opened with 20 million last week, like, for a movie as big as Tenet, which was like a reported budget was like over 200 million or something like that, because Christopher Nolan's exploding planes and everything. But um, yeah, 20 million would not be good. But considering just the state of the world and we've we've been talking about for for forever now um if you kind of get the sense that maybe that is pretty good i mean you look worldwide so obviously uh places around the world are doing a little better with the coronavirus than the united states so it's made a lot of money overseas uh so worldwide it's like over 200 million right now so you got to figure for a movie of this size like I know all things considered, like Warner Brothers, I would assume is probably not sweating too bad with this. Um, I would assume just because based on like all the marketing and other reports that came out earlier, they probably have to get somewhere around maybe f like half a billion to probably break even on Tenet. Um, but I feel like a lot of what we're going to look at here is for one thing, I don't think anything is really going to come out in theaters recently. Like we're, we'll talk about a few movies that got pulled or, or pushed back entirely. Um, so it might just be the only thing people can see wherever they can go see it. Um, but I also think that we're going to go into an interesting kind of VOD market whenever Tenant does leave theaters and be available on streaming or whatever like that. Because I feel like it'll have such a long tail with people who just were like in major cities like L.A. and New York and San Francisco who are just like all theaters are closed. And that's where you make a lot of money in the States that we'll probably just look at and download it on VOD or pay the seven to 10 bucks, whatever it costs there. So I don't know. I feel like where we stand right now, I can't, yeah, like I said, I don't think Warner Brothers can be too concerned. Obviously they want to do better, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I should just go back to, I don't know for everything. And then I won't sound stupid no matter the outcome. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, so they're, they, they said it got out with about what, 65 to 70% of us theaters were open now uh, overall, but most of them barely filling half uh, capacity. So last weekend, or it's initial weekend, the Labor Day weekend, a little over 20 million. I was a little underwhelmed, but you're right. You got to look at the big picture. And Warner Bros. today said that they won't be sharing much more uh, data when it comes to the box office uh, for Tenet. Um, apparently, a lot of rival studios are very angry about that. So you're going to have some studio wars over this. Um, but you know what? Over 200 million worldwide, and I did see reports that they need a little over 400 to break even. I think they'll get there for sure because this might be the only big movie in theaters until Bond. Yeah, I think like this could potentially be our only blockbuster this year, based on just how things keep getting pushed further and further back. And even with, we'll talk about it in a little more detail later on. Um, but you know, even with Wonder Woman getting pushed back. As of this week, you know, that's all the way back to Christmas Day. 
Um, so this, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if we even had some of these November releases where November is a little overcrowded right now, but as people are seeing that, Hey, you can't make blockbuster profits when most movie theaters are at like 40% capacity and the major cities are all still shut down. Um, I'm really curious to see how everything else performs later on in the year as well. Yeah. And it's interesting too, where, um, we saw that tenants week to week drop here was about 67%. Um, so that's just like never good for any particular movie. Um, but my guess is too, that where people can see this movie and just where movie theaters are open, they're probably going to just go see a movie once and then be like, all right, I'm gonna go quarantine for two weeks or whatever. Like, I just don't really like see myself going back to the theater anytime soon. Um, so my guess is like a lot of these movies, like, we'll maybe see them like pop in the first weekend, like quote unquote. Cause like, what is like popping in the theaters mean these days? It's probably like a couple million, but after that, we'll probably see really short tales for just tenant and just like every other movie that comes out in the theaters as well. Yeah. We might see as the weeks progress and potentially major cities like New York and LA, because I did see reports um, that Los Angeles has some uh, of their, a little bit outer theaters opening, not, quite downtown but a little bit of the more outer downtown theaters are now opening are set to open this month i think tenant might be able to have a couple bounce back weekends down the line um but yeah i think you're right we'll probably see quote unquote a pop early on then then a quick uh, dip yeah and i think the other thing is like there were some issues with drive-ins not being able to play tenant as well so i know like drive-ins in la didn't really play it last week but now they're playing it this week I know like the drive-in in my area is still playing New Mutants, which, you know, I kind of forgot about that movie already, even though we waited <laughs> for it for so long. Um, so I feel like that definitely has to factor into it as well, because that's where the bulk of people looking to go to the movies have gotten their movie going from um, over the past six months, which just seems kind of strange because, you know, drive-ins were pretty dead until everything else died. Um, but I feel like that definitely plays a role in Tenet's lack of monster success right now as well. I don't think I'll ever, I think at this point, I don't think I'll ever see uh, New Mutants just because I still don't believe it's real. And I'm just going to keep it that way where <laughs> it's just, I will never see it in my entire life just to put, just for the bit. I love it. Um, That's fair. But I guess you guys also just saw the movie too. So is it even worth seeing? Would you recommend it, especially during a pandemic or what? See, I saw it. I can't say if I heard it or not, um, but <laughs> I was in the theater. Um, I don't know. It's I, I don't get me wrong. I like Nolan movies. I'm not a big Nolan bro, just in general. Um, so I'm I'm you know I'm not going to gravitate towards him and just be in love with everything he produces. But as far as just like comparing it to other Nolan movies I've seen, which is most of his filmography at this point, I just wasn't really attached to it. I think it's really really entrenched in quantum physics which is awesome and i love that nolan knows all sorts of things about time that i will never care to understand um but i feel like the movie relies so much on you having even more than just a baseline knowledge of things it's just throwing so many ideas and concepts at you and i mean it wasn't until i researched it afterwards that i kind of half got what inversion was and how it works specifically and why things were moving in this direction and that direction and functioning this way. Um, and I still don't understand it. Uh, maybe it's cause I don't watch Rick and Morty, but <laughs> you know, I was just, it was a head scratcher and, and not in a way where, you know, like capital C cinema where you really have to think about the themes and the subtext and whatnot. It's just, there's a lot of like actual plot heavy elements that I feel like really weigh the movie down. Um, one thing that I'd say about it, I think, <laughs> a funny thing uh, to point out is one of the early lines in the movie and as I was sitting watching it I'm like oh okay so that's what he's trying to uh, hint to us here is there was a line from one of the characters that said um, you have John David Washington's character trying to understand this inversion uh, in one of the scenes early on and um, the lady turns to him and she's kind of the scientist and she says um, don't try to understand it just feel it <laughs> and <laughs> I think that was Nolan kind of hinting at, at, at kind of what kind of the general audience out there and you know what i think that in terms of this movie i think it had a lot less exposition than i expected it would i think he just kind of runs with what he's doing and doesn't really try to 
kind of have characters explain things all the time. Uh, that's personally how I saw it. I think there is still exposition, but not as much as, say, um, Inception, as we've talked about before. Um, so I think that's one thing. However, it does make the movie a little bit uh, more muddled. However, I found enough enjoyment in it to really like it. I think there are a lot of great set pieces. Robert Pattinson's charm is, is fantastic. John David Washington is good. Um, so I had a lot of fun with it. I liked the, the music. And apparently... Obviously, there have been a lot of people complaining about the sound, and um, I hear um, that it's better if you watch it in just a regular 2D, uh, well, he didn't do it in 3D, but just a regular kind of your standard theater. I've heard it's better that way. I hear IMAX and the Dolby ones are worse uh, in terms of hearing for this movie. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what I've heard. Interesting. Uh, Maybe I'll check it out, because I saw it in a Dolby theater, and it was just really overpowering and that could honestly now that you mentioned it just be because of the setup because you do have the speakers like under your seat so you're also rumbling the entire time and i mean it works great for scenes where people are shooting or driving or punching each other mm-hmm. but yeah for any any time there was a scene where they were talking near or on water i just couldn't <laughs> hear every third word yeah for me it was i was in the imax and i the rumbling was there and i like that experience i like going and just having my ears blasted um but i think it would be if i do watch it again i'd go on like a cheap tuesday and just watch it in kind of one year standard theaters to see if that is uh different i know that some people were complaining about the way movies are mixed i read actually some great articles about how movies are mixed today and apparently a lot of films nowadays put the sound at the bottom uh, of their mix i don't i don't really know any of the technical elements of it but apparently that adds to it and that's just been a trend over the last few decades um but this is definitely the culmination of that trend if it is uh, in fact real yeah i think i'm just gonna stay at home and order the travis scott burger instead uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like i like i feel like i've had this conversation or like a version of this on the pot every week where i just, yeah i just don't think i'm probably going to return to theater soon. Like I actually just moved. So shout out to my life. And I'm sure people are so fascinated (laughs) about that, but um, where I live now, it's just like the the cases aren't great. And yeah, it's, I don't know. I just don't really see myself going to a theater anytime soon. So especially if it's for something where Christopher Nolan's just going to like have crazy noises and just inaudible yelling for two and a half hours. Um, (laughs) I will get a headache and also possibly COVID-19 seeing the movie. (laughs) See, here's my real question though. And we, we chatted about this a little bit before we hopped on, but basically the gist of time travel and tenant, is it like some people are moving through time forwards? Some people (laughs) are are moving through time backwards. (laughs) And so you see we're of course we're doing this. (laughs) And so you see, like one of the the things in the movie is like if you go through a door you need to watch yourself come out of the door like on the other side so that when you like start moving in the opposite direction you've seen what you've already done uh but then by that logic you also haven't done it yet it's it's very confusing but my question is if you were to like vomit or poop or do any kind of bodily (laughs) function so say you eat a pizza when you're inverted do you have to then uneat that pizza and it like reassembles in your mouth and then you pull it out or like, how, how do these things work? These are the answers uh, I need. I don't think I'm equipped. Uh, I don't think Nick is. I think that we'll have to get Nolan's email. No. And we'll get back to you on that. I'm on timeout for like five minutes. I'm, I'm hurting over here. <laughs> this is going to be like when I was at Sundance, I went to a Ron Howard panel. And one of the first, so he's doing this documentary about like all these people who lost their homes and lives due to the fires. And the first question is like, so when's Solo 2 going to happen? And so when Nolan's at a panel next year, I'm going to go up and he's going to be talking about whatever movie he's making next. I'm like, so say you're eating a pizza and you're inverted. <laughs> Can't wait. I just keep thinking of John David Washington just shitting his brains out. during. <laughs> but actually, because he's inverted, he would be shitting his brains in. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> lots of questions uh, can we just stay on this for like the next like five hours <laughs> so uh yeah that, that's tenant uh some questions <laughs> to think about uh just metaphysically as well as uh within the future of the box office um and then like we said a lot of stuff's being shuffled around continually so between mulan supposedly succeeding 
Um, I mean, Disney doesn't really have to release numbers, and so they really haven't. Um, but they're probably boasting that it's been towards the top of their streaming, um, even though people have to pay $30 for it. But with Mulan succeeding and Tenet not having as big of an opening as you know studios might have hoped for, we've seen Wonder Woman get pushed back another two months. Um, so its first uh, official release date um, coming out of production was earlier in June. And then it got pushed back to August, got pushed back to October. Now it's pushed back to Christmas Day um, as Warner Brothers is just not sure. They obviously want this to make a lot of money. And in the current state of things, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Candyman was also pushed back um, from its October release date, pushed back to indefinitely sometime 2021. Uh, we saw that with the Halloween movies earlier this year got pushed back from their October release date. Um, so we're seeing even the back half of the year really start to vacate theatrical releases. Honestly, I'm just still thinking of <laughs> pooping in Tenet. <laughs> I'm sorry. Someone take the rain. Someone take the baton. Uh, actually, poop is a palindrome like Tenet. So <laughs> backwards as it is forwards. Uh, insert Travis Scott burger. Uh, I'm wrecked. <laughs> I think I think I'm broken. <laughs> uh, I'll, okay. I'll see what I can do here. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, we got Wonder Woman pushed back, and Warner Bros. has a weird strategy with this, as as they want to own the holiday box office. That's kind of what they said initially. They said Wonder Woman indefinitely, then they dropped it a week after Dune, and said we want to own the box office with those two movies and give Tenet a massive amount of time to rake in money. That's probably a smart move for Tenet, not a smart move for Dune. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. I, it kind of sucks, but the second wave is surely coming. Yeah. All right. I can think I can say things now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't really see like, I don't like who knows if either of these movies stay around their Christmas release date, Wonder Woman and Dune. But um, I, I think one of these is definitely going to move at some point. Um, my guess is probably Dune first, just because Wonder Woman has just shifted around so many times, or and they probably don't want to move it again and have to remarket it and things like that, is my guess there. But um, I don't know. It's kind of a bummer, because Dune just looks really, really cool uh, from the trailer. I mean, there's really not good music in that trailer, but that'll be replaced with a really fun Hans Zimmer score that will hopefully still let us hear things um, in, in the actual movie, unlike Tenet, apparently. But... Um, that movie just looks awesome. That movie has just everyone in it in Hollywood that matters. And just, yeah, really cool book that I haven't read, but everyone else says is really good. Uh, <laughs> that movie just, it just looks really cool. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. And, and Villeneuve, there's probably a, there's a good argument out there that he's like one of the best or like the best filmmaker working right now. So, yeah, I just kind of want to see that movie. I also just kind of want to see Wonder Woman too. So it's 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 a bummer. Yeah, so this movie's really got to succeed. Dune really does have to succeed. And uh, But one thing that I think is good um, is, I mean, Blade Runner 2049, while it was a great film, um, it was uh, definitely a downer in terms of box office numbers. But um, Denny is still getting a massive budget for Dune. So I, I think that um, box office isn't, isn't always everything, and I think we know that, and that's good. But we really got to... Uh, help Dune because he wants this trilogy pretty bad. Yeah, and I feel like Dune is just kind of in an awkward position to get slaughtered by Wonder Woman the next week. I think it's really going to depend on how well it can do with that little bit of a lead it has. Because um, I think the major problem you're going to have with this is that it is a lesser known property than Wonder Woman. I mean, Dune is still pretty well known, um, but it doesn't have that kind of iconography. And I also don't think it's going to have that same level of accessibility, whereas something like Wonder Woman or even Star Wars, which normally comes out around that time, or Aquaman, which came out around that time two years ago, has. And so I think general audiences, families looking for something to do around Christmas are going to pick Wonder Woman um, pretty much nine times out of ten. And you just add that to all these crazy unknowns going on with COVID and how things are opening and closing all the time. Um, so I, I really don't think this is going to end up playing in Dune's favor, even if it yeah. is as good as everyone expects it to be. Yeah, I think in terms of just overall appeal, I feel like the only two things that people know about Dune realistically, I mean, like for 
besides people who've read the books and like the David Lynch movie is that, um, like that there's, it's all about spice and there's like the big worms. Um, that's, I think that's really about it. I think like, when you hear Dune, that's like about all people know. Um, and we kind of know Villeneuve, like, right. Like Blade Runner 2049 wasn't a great box office success. So people would say it's a flop and he's not like, like he's not going to create a super fun, like swashbuckling tone, you know, like it's probably going to be a little more self-serious, um, a little colder. That's how a lot of his movies work, but they're really good. But maybe that, that just doesn't always lend to just great box office success. So yeah, it'll Dune, I think from the start was a big risk because like you said, it's not the most well-known thing in the world, even if people do have a strong affinity for it. Um, yeah. And just all these other influences, it's, I, it's really tough for it. And yeah, I think, I can't remember if there was, he was supposed to make a trilogy out of this or if he, or if Villeneuve just wanted to make two Dune movies or something like that. But he definitely wanted to extend it past this first one. And I, I, I would just like to see him do that because I like watching him film movies. <laughs> like he's a really good director. I just, I like the stuff he does. And like, he's one of the more interesting mainstream people working today. So yeah, my guess is this is probably going to get pushed back. And we're all, I think it seems like we're all, itching for at least hoping for a vaccine next spring so my guess is maybe this ends up some point in april and may it gets pushed back to then um who knows but um yeah i just i want this movie to do well yeah i agree i think i think um there's a real potential before we move on here uh just lastly i think the casting could really save this movie i think the timmy stands might help it out yeah i think like Timothy Chalamet and uh, you know, Jason Momoa's in this movie, Oscar Isaac, like as far as people that can draw a crowd, um, I think this is kind of the movie to do it. And you got Zendaya too. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. you just get all of these people to like put something out on social media. Like, I feel like that's how like most movies get big buzz now. It's like that, that could work. Um, and I think that's actually really smart of them to do it that way. But um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I just I just really want this movie to work out. Um, I really hope they just push it like in the next few weeks because I don't really want to have to worry about it not making money. Yeah, and it's a lot of actors that have like almost cult like followings. Um, I, yeah. I mean, looking specifically at like Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, and even Oscar Isaac just has like a lot of people that are really obsessed with him in particular. Um, so I think good job for Denis. So yeah, that is Dune. Um, hopefully, it'll be releasing this year. Hopefully, anything releases this year at this point. <laughs> honestly, um, you know, I've I don't know how credible they were, but I heard rumors that because of the success Mulan has been having, Disney is potentially toying with the idea of doing like some kind of hybrid release for Black Widow. Um, if they don't end up pushing that back, so it'll it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Um, and then, of course, Netflix is always here to deliver lots of chaos. Um, they've actually been pretty quiet in the past few weeks with theaters really opening back up. Uh, but this week they had a movie that everybody tended to hate and another movie that everybody tended to hate without really knowing anything about it. Um, so <laughs> we're not going to run fully through their top ten, uh, but we do want to talk about some of their new releases. So let's uh, let's start off with the easy one and talk about The Babysitter Killer Queen. Um, so I don't know if you guys were fans of The Babysitter, uh, which released a few years ago, uh, but it's basically it's just like a modern slasher movie with that kind of 70s, 80s style of someone has a butcher knife and they're trying to kill people. Um, and I think it was just really fun and really entertaining. It's this kid like trying to fight back against his babysitter cult. Um, it's bloody. It's disgusting. And it's it's just like the perfect midnight horror movie. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like, so I actually just caught up with the babysitter yesterday and I was kind of the opposite where I was just very bored the whole time. Um, but I think that was mostly just cause I'm concerned for a, a grown man that keeps referring to himself as Mick G, um, who directed that movie and directed the, the babysitter killer queen as well. Um, I'm sorry to Mick G. I know you listen to every single one of our episodes, but, um, yeah, that was just concerning to me. I don't know. Like, I like a lot of the people in those movies. Like Samara Weaving is just wonderful and everything she she's in. Um, I was like seeing Leslie Bibb in a movie too, but I don't know. Like I was planning on catching up with the first one so I could watch the new one. And then I just 
kind of just sat through the first one and like almost fell asleep. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? It might take a few days before I catch up with Killer Queen. But yeah, apparently no one likes it. So maybe I'm making the right decision. Um, I actually really did enjoy the first one. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, this one was just so pointless. Like, <laughs> um, there, there's really nothing there. It's missing a spark. Um, Samara Weaving has a very small role in it, but she, to me, was like the the driving force behind why I enjoyed the first one. Um, it was didn't didn't need to happen. Yeah, I thought about watching this movie for about two minutes, and then <laughs> I hopped on the old Twitter. I checked out my man, Scott Wampler, and he said it sucked, and I trust his opinion on horror movies in particular. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch something I actually want to watch. So then I watched uh, Henry Cavill do his little fist pump in Mission Impossible, and uh was definitely the better choice for that evening. <laughs> but yeah, I I just remember really enjoying the first one. Um, just seeing the reactions to this one, I, I have no real desire to see it. I think the first one like ended well enough that there's not really a story hook that i can remember that i'm like oh man i need more of this um so i think i'm just gonna let this one stay in the the unwatched list on netflix it's kind of weird because like for as much stuff as netflix puts out like they rarely ever like see put give out sequels to stuff to things like they only do that for a select few of things like like, like the kissing the boys look. Yeah, exactly the best movie ever made um <laughs> The second one is the best movie ever made. Um, I will continue that bit because now I think it's hilarious. But anyway, um, so yeah, it, it was kind of bizarre because like this one was like one of their first kind of big originals to pop because it came out back in 2017 when they were Netflix was still kind of figuring out their original content. But I feel like it was the point where they were like, oh, this movie was really successful because we didn't really have any other original movies. So let's just make a second one just because. And the cast said yes. So they were like, hey, McG, go do it. And he was like, fine, I'm McG. My name is McG. Um, so I don't know. Like, I guess it's good for the content. Like, you could, like, it's good to be like, for Netflix, be like, oh, you watched the first one. Now you can watch this one or vice versa or whatever, like that. But um, yeah, it doesn't really seem very interesting to me at all yeah i really don't have a ton to add on this movie <laughs> um but netflix also has just been like in kind of a bullet storm of just the public conscious lately conscience lately um just with the movie cuties uh which was something that debuted at sundance earlier this year and was generally pretty well acclaimed um, it's a French movie. Everything was going fine until probably about two or three weeks ago. And then uh, it blew up with our good old QAnon pals and um, <laughs> has just really become this social media shitstorm of like people accusing this movie of promoting pedophilia and like being part of the secret QAnon cult that supposedly Donald Trump is like the only human who's fighting against um, and just – so much insanity has been around this movie. It's kind of exhausting. Um, but it finally debuted this week, and the consensus has been pretty much the same critically. That I mean, this is a movie that at least has a message. Obviously, it's not just like promoting pedophilia, uh, but that hasn't prevented it from being review bombed completely and still a part of massive social media campaigns to boycott Netflix and take this movie down. It is... It's insane, like the like the storm that has gone around this movie. It's all from Netflix, most basically just from Netflix releasing that really bad poster a few weeks ago. But yeah, it was even like like Ted Cruz was like called for the Department of Justice to investigate the movie like a day or two ago. And you're like, what is happening for this movie that is clearly trying to like go after like, hey, let's not sexualize kids. Like that's the whole idea of the movie, and it's taking a little satirical and maybe. A, like head-on approach to that but that's clearly what it's going after so um yeah it's just been so bizarre to see all this and it's so like uh, it's like all like a lot of it like right like our q our q friends are like it is just so like exhausting to even like think about talking about cuties that i don't know i just wish like i get excited when like movies like this show up on netflix because like the, 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 it's probably the biggest audience i would have ever seen this movie right because it like if this was like picked up by like Sony picture classics or something like that. It would have just played in like a, like a hundred or 200 theaters and then gone straight to VOD afterwards. And 
anyone, no one would like hardly have talked about it. But Netflix always gives these smaller movies a good chance to like actually be seen. But this is like one of the few cases where it's just been disastrous. And I feel like it's just all on Netflix. I feel so bad for the director and everyone involved with this movie who are just getting destroyed for just no really good reason from my perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Netflix ruined this movie a hundred percent. Um, like it, it's, it's weird that it was able to win, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it won at Sundance, uh, the audience award and no one really batted an eye. And then once the Netflix, uh, marketing came out, it was just so bad. It, it kind of cr- like ruined this movie. And now it's like, it's, it was probably the most popular movie in the world for, for a little bit of a new cycle there. Um, but yeah, this is just a just a crazy overall scenario. Um, the movie, I guess, uh, it's it does cross the line at times a little bit. But they're you're right. What you said, Nick, they're not going for that, even if by accident they do at times. And it it it, it is weird. Um, but besides that, the movie's a little hollow with what it's trying to go for. It has good ideas, but it it lacks uh, it lacks. I think the solid writing uh, to kind of get it to the finish line, but. I'm just shocked by everything that's gone down with this movie and all these all these uh, kind of cancel campaigns. It's it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, my favorite Facebook post around this movie was yesterday morning. I saw one that was this lady that was like sharing a petition to have the movie removed, and it's like this is the movie cuties that uh, sexual over sexualizes young girls. And it was just like that picture from the marketing campaign. And it was like the director is coming out and trying to say what her movie is about, but we need to remove this movie now. It's like, <laughs> who, who am I going to trust the person who made this movie to tell me what this movie about or someone who hasn't seen it. And so I feel like it's just, it's become something so much bigger than itself. It's just kind of horrifying and horrifying to watch. But at the same time, I can't look away. It's just, it's something to watch. Yeah, it's so we're looking at so IMDb. This movie's at a two point one out of ten right now. So it, it that's went like, up. yeah, it was like one point eight a little bit ago. It's like literally that's like one of like the lowest scores like I think like ever on IMDb, which is insane. And then we're looking at the uh, at the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a solid three um, <laughs> percent compared to the eighty nine percent critic score, uh, which is just insane. Like th- this movie has been clickbaited to death and. I would like. I, I was really meaning to check it check it out before this pod, just so I could get a good, um, good perspective on it. But maybe, hopefully, we can. It stays in the news, maybe a little bit for better reasons for next week, so we can actually talk about it again and I can watch it. But um, yeah, I just feel really bad for the director, who's. This was definitely going to be like used as a springboard for her career to like move towards bigger things, and now she's just like caught in all this stuff. I don't know. It's. I feel really bad because yeah, like Colin, we were like talking to people at Sundance, people were like, yeah, Cooties is really good. It's a really thoughtful movie. And then it's just, here we are eight months later. <laughs> and it's like one of the most talked about things in the most negative way possible. Um, yeah. It's another wrinkle to how crazy 2020 is. Yeah. It's just, what an insane thing to happen. In Netflix. <laughs> I feel like this is what the hunt thought it was in terms of being when the hunt was, being marketed again earlier this year it was like the most talked about movie of the year um i feel like <laughs> it's weirdly now cuties um mm-hmm. that's that's where we're at as a society um but this also really reminds me why i don't ever trust the audience review portion um because audiences don't deserve movies because uh, half the time <laughs> on the internet i was arguing with a friend of mine the other day about like whether you should trust the audience score or the critic score more when you're just like, you know, when you're on Rotten Tomatoes, you're like, should I watch this movie or not? Do I want to spend two hours? And he was like, well, I always trust the audience score. And I was like, audiences don't deserve movies because half the time the people writing reviews don't either A, review them or B, actually watch the movie. And I feel like Cuties is just the quintessential example of that. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, there, there. I think that the movie does have some issues. I think that they, they needed to edit out a lot of the zooms. I think that's a problem. Um, but it is definitely not what they were going for. You know, that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, and this is the time where I get to push all of our wonderful content on moviebabble.com, where you can read very <laughs> thoughtful reviews about movies who about with reviewers who have actually seen the movies. It's, 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 ama- it's amazing. <laughs> so there's a lot of great stuff going on over there. It just, it really, 
takes me back to a time last week when things were simpler for Netflix and they were only thinking of ending things, uh, <laughs> which was Charlie Kaufman's latest film uh, that did debut on Netflix. I still haven't gotten time to check this one out. Um, unfortunately, I didn't watch a lot of movies this past week. Um, but yeah, I've heard people literally within the day that this movie released, I saw like five different blogs writing, explaining the ending of I'm thinking of ending things. Um, so I know this one's been pretty controversial, thankfully not for anything near the same reasons that cuties was, but just because it is a Charlie Kaufman movie, um, which, you know. Yeah, it's, I, I get so much glee in thinking about like someone who watched like love guaranteed and like, I th- I'm thinking of ending things like is next and like, Oh, like check this one out. And they're like, Oh, what is this? And then they watch it and they're like, what the hell <laughs> is going on in this movie? Cause it is, so so weird and i think for anyone who isn't really familiar with uh charlie kaufman and all his just very strange work and like just anomalisa and all these things his works with spike jones and being john malkovich is just one of the strangest more popular movies like ever made but it's terrific but it's just he's just a very singular guy and in, in in hollywood and um yeah this i'm thinking of ending things is more proof of that it's just so weird and off the wall and it's like it's weirdly like a drama like a thriller or sometimes a horror movie and like like a absurdist comedy like all at the same time and it's also probably one of the more depressing movies you'll ever see in your life and um so but yeah it's um it's a movie where i really want to watch it again and i think that's kind of already been like a joke where people are like you have to watch this movie 10 different times to (laughs) understand it Uh, but i think that's the case for me specifically because i watched it and I gave it like a solid three and a half on letterbox. I was like, huh, that was kind of weird, but I really, I liked, I dug a lot of stuff in it. And it's one of those that's just kind of been like burrowing into my brain. And I've really thought about a lot since. Um, and I think I would like to check this out again. Cause it's, it's really stuck with me a lot and stuck to my ribs a little bit. Um, especially the last 20 minutes, which I think are just so crazy and so interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, it's Charlie Kaufman. I'm so happy that Netflix paid him money to direct a movie because he he's talked about routinely where he's like, I can never get money to make things because no one wants my, my stuff. Um, so like good on good on him for getting Netflix to drop the bag. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie. Weirdly enough, I know you said the last 20 minutes were interesting to you. I, I thought that was the weakest part of the movie. Oh, um, yeah, I, I up until that point, I actually was really I didn't hate the last 20 minutes or so. I just kind of um, I don't know. It didn't didn't rub me the right way i guess you could say or just i didn't really dig what what he chose to do um but up until that point i really did enjoy this film both jesse's are great here um they play off each other really well and you're right the movie is a lot more intense uh than i thought it was going to be like there are some thriller elements in it or uh yeah thriller elements i should say um that I didn't really expect to be in a movie like this. It's funny because you look through his career and he's directed now three movies. Um, they're all a little bit um, stranger than the ones that he only writes. I think that giving him full reign to direct and write just lets him be uh, full on Charlie Kaufman. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a treat to watch. Yeah. It's really funny because I've listened to a lot of him, a lot like discuss his work and he goes by this really funny idea where it's like, oh, like this is typically not something you see in a movie and probably would be frowned upon. So I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of that in this movie because it's like there's like many moments like there's multiple car, car rides that are like 20 to 25 minutes long in this movie where Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plum are just going back and forth and just talking about random things. And there's times where Jesse Buckley will just recite entire poems and there's one time where she recites an entire Pauline Kael review from a, from a Cassavetes movie. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but um, it's just like all this stuff. And I think it really gets into like, Oh, like, are we really, do we, do we really have original thought or are we really just kind of just blurting out things that we've heard from other places? And I think that's so interesting. And I think especially the last 20 minutes, I think really gets into just the really cynical way that kind of men look at women in relationships and how they're needed to like fix all of their issues. And I think there's the, there's the last scene I thought was just really, really crushing. Um, but yeah, there's just so much weird shit in this movie. Um, just 
for like half an hour, David Thewis and Tony Collette are just like on one totally. <laughs> like they're so insane. And then they just like leave the movie and then you're back in the car and you're like, huh, that was weird. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this movie, it's, it's kind of, I would describe it kind of like a thought that's hasn't like, it's still in process. Like they haven't finalized their idea, but it's like a stream of constant consciousness. Like I'm thinking about ending things, I guess, <laughs> but they're just thinking about um, all the, this, all the depression and all their issues and all that with, and then, and the issues with women in, in specific and relationships. But yeah, it's just so fascinating to me. I really want to pull it apart. Um, yeah. All of the, 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 I think I'm thinking of ending things explained videos are like nauseating because there's probably like a thousand of them on YouTube already. But um, yeah, there's a lot to pick out here and I really want to check it out again. At any point in the movie, does anybody become John Malkovich? <laughs> no. I will say I'm that not interested. there are times when actors become different people first and you're like, what? what is happening? And it's like a frame and then it goes back to normal and you're like, what? <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm back in. <laughs> <laughs> it is really interesting because there's like throughout the entire movie, it's like everything is changing. So like different frames, people will be wearing a different outfit. Then I'll go back to the regular outfit and then bandages will be on different parts of people's heads and arms and stuff like that. And it's, it's really weird. It's like everything is moving. Um, but also nothing is moving. Cause like you're in these scenes for so, so long. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's so weird. I think it Brennan really hit it on the head there where it's like, when you, Whenever you see a movie directed by Charlie Kaufman and also written by him, it's just going to be so fucking weird. Like, he really <laughs> just goes all out. And, like, Spike Jones or, like, Michelle Gondry, like, take his scripts. And I don't know if they make them more user-friendly or, like, more accessible, but they're definitely bringing their interpretation to his work. So mm -hmm. um, un unfiltered Kaufman is just always fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out sometime soon. But yeah, I need to I need to be in the right headspace for it. You know, some days you just want to watch people punch each other. Some <laughs> days you want to actually think about things. Um, Thinking about so ending things? Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's also talk about what we have been watching um, in our own time this week. Um, like I said, I really didn't watch a ton um, with school. And then I started a uh, second job this week, um, just kind of in my spare time. And so I'm was a little busy, didn't want to watch anything uh, that made me want to think about ending things or anything that really challenged me. So I watched uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall the other day, and this is only the second time I've seen it. I honestly don't know if I've ever seen it It's in its entirety, um, but I watched it and like this movie is just consistently funny. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just just really well put together. Uh, Jason Siegel wrote it and starred in it. This was like in the prime of his uh, career coming off of how I met your mother. And like right before he did the Muppet movie, um, this was like pre super famous Kristen Bell, uh, which was also really interesting to see her in that. And it just has like a lot of funny recurring gags that it like keeps bringing up, but never beats you over the head with. Um, so I just like enjoyed it from start to finish. So Thank you, Sarah Marshall. I will not forget you. This is always a good one to go back to. That's always a good movie to go back to. Literally everything Paul Rudd does in this movie, I think, is like one of the funniest <laughs> things ever. <laughs> What's his name? Kona? Is that his character's name? <laughs> he has like three different names. <laughs> <laughs> There's like that one part where he's like starts singing and he's like, the weather outside is weather. <laughs> it just makes me laugh so, so hard. Um, but yeah, like this movie... It's so weird how everyone was like, this movie's hilarious when it's like, it's framed with like a vampire puppet show, uh, <laughs> which I know, like, I think um, I'm pretty sure uh, Jason Siegel wanted to make that its own movie. And then um, the producers were like, no, you put this in this movie and make it a weird thing. And he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I love this movie. And Mila Kunis is just terrific in this movie too. It's one of the favorite, my favorite things I've ever seen from her. I'm more of a Jupiter ascending Stan. <laughs> no, yeah, I think because this was just like when all of these people were famous, but not to not necessarily to the level they are now. Um, so it's just like an interesting throwback to an earlier but still really successful time in their careers. 
and even like Jack McBrayer, who's really famous for 30 Rock at the time and now for the Wreck-It Ralph movies is in it. He has this really good bit about like not knowing how to do the sex. And so he's just like constantly asking Russell Brand for help. <laughs> uh, like it's just it's just filled with a lot of stupidly fun things like that. Uh, it just brought me so much joy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the middle of TIFF right now. Um, I got the I know this. I don't know where this movie is uh, kind of geo-locked, but I know that there are some countries where you just can't rent it unless you have a press pass or rent a screening unless you have a press pass. So I'm lucky to be in Canada. And I got, originally I, I got five uh, movies that I was set to watch and then Nomadland just like, it's going crazy. Would have won Venice and it had like a, it has a hundred and Rotten Tomatoes average score, like 9.5. The meta score was like 98 last night. So I was like, okay, I'll see if there's any tickets left. And there were. So I watched that last night. Fantastic movie, 100%. I like The Rider, but I think this is um, a little bit better in, in the fact that it uh, flows a little better than The Rider, in my opinion. But it's a beautiful movie. Um, I didn't like it. I think it's just a, a nice uh, kind of not even just a really intricate human story, but a, a movie that is is very good at kind of peeking behind the curtains at a life that I wouldn't really um, – think about on kind of a, a regular day so that's a movie that i'm, I'm sure everyone's probably going to check out at some point um another one i've i've, I've watched so far is uh, get the hell out uh, a taiwanese film about a zombie breakout in their uh parliament chambers and it's pretty funny it's pretty gory you can tell it's the director's first movie you can tell that he's kind of going for like this attempt at kind of uh, like a tarantino type gory um uh sort of thing and it, it's it's a lot of fun i started off uh the week with that movie and that was kind of a good way to start tiff just kind of a nice fun uh <laughs> enjoyable zombie movie um and then the last one i watched it's a japanese film uh called under the open sky and that one is quite good it's uh, by director miwa nishikawa um very good movie it's about a uh a uh, ex-con who's kind of reintegrating into society i don't think this movie is amazing but i do think that um the acting and the charm from the entire cast is is really what carries this movie all the way and there's enough uh interesting uh driving pieces in the plot that keep you kind of connected even though they do kind of beat you over the head with the fact that um society is not great to ex-cons that that's kind of repeated so many times but um it's it, it was definitely a good time as well i got three more upcoming i got i got a drive-in showing actually for tiff for the father and that will be pretty soon anthony hopkins is apparently wonderful in that uh, pieces of a woman is another one netflix just picked that up though so i feel kind of upset that i got the ticket and um uh what's the last one i'm checking out um, oh, Summer of 85, a French film. So that's what is my uh, TIFF slate this week, and I'm looking forward to finishing it up. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I know, like, TIFF, it feels like it's been a much bigger deal this year just because, like, so many other festivals were canceled. I saw a lot of, like, film, theater, film Twitter um, just going crazy over trying to apply and then lots of people getting in and not getting in and just everything being kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, I've heard like lots of good news about stuff coming out of TIFF, um, specifically praising Francis McDormand's performance um, in Nomadland. Or Nomadland. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to see stuff that comes out of all of TIFF this year. And I'm pretty sure The Father, that also played at Sundance, and people seem to like it there, also just praise Anthony Hopkins. So that's another one I'm looking forward to as well. Um, that's the one uh, um sorry that, just real quick that's the one i was actually most excited for when i went in and got all my tickets so i'm, I'm definitely hyped for that yeah that one it, it seems like it's just a very actorly movie and anthony hopkins is just like that's if you're gonna have an actorly movie he's probably the best one to put in there um yeah i i can't wait to see nomadland that movie just looks really really good and i like you said i really liked chloe Zhao's last movie the rider um and it's just the fact that she's also making the Eternals is just really, really funny to me because it's just these two super humane personal dramas and then something that's like $300 million, but um, <laughs> just really, really funny. Uh, but yeah, I, I finally caught up with a movie that I've been trying to watch in full for the longest time. That was the tree of life. Uh, Terrence Malick's what I guess what people consider his best movie. Um, but I had seen it in parts many, many times before but it, I think this, this was like, all right, I finally need to like watch this and 
cross this off my list. And I think it's already one of my favorite movies ever. Like I really, really love this movie. Uh, and I think Terrence Malick is one of those guys where he is just so hit or miss sometimes. And mo- and most recently he hasn't been particularly on point. Although I, I did like a hidden life, like his movie that came out last year um, quite a bit, but he's one of those guys where like his direction is so memeable because there's like so many shots of like, nature like of like wheat rustling in the in the wind and like people just like whispering about like life and like all these like big questions and you can kind of really joke on it and there's a few movies of his where it just really does not work at all and it's really really funny uh but i kind of feel like the tree of life and i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this because this movie is beloved all over the place but i feel like this is like the culmination of like everything in his career where it just everything works so, so well. And it's like the biggest ideas ever where it's trying to connect like a family's pain to like the creation of the universe and there's dinosaurs and it's like kind of like trying to explain how we're all connected in this crazy cosmic way. Um, and also just tell like a super like intimate story about a family and Brad Pitt is terrific in it and Jessica Chastain as well. But yeah, I, I'm so happy I kind of finally watched this because it's so, so great. Um, and it's like one of those movies I think I feel like that film Twitter universally loves. So, um, I yeah, people, if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably check it out. Yeah, that's one that's it's been on my list for a long time, but uh, it'll 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 happen. I'll watch it. Yeah, I also need to check out A Hidden Life, which was his film last year that I feel like just kind of got um overlooked for the most part um it didn't really get a very big domestic release i mean part of that is it's also like a german production um so it had a little more activity overseas but yeah i definitely need to uh brush up on my malik a little bit more yeah the hidden life was i would say i recommend it and i do i do like it but it's kind of one of those where it's it's pretty hit or miss but then when it really works it's just like like it's so incredible and like all when he's working um on his like super like introspective work he just he's just so so good in that movie uh malik is his direction but the movie's also like three hours long and it's people whispering for three hours like <laughs> like most of his movies so um yeah like i was trying to talk to my mom about this about the tree of life and i was like i can't really i don't i can't tell if you would really like it or if you would just fall asleep in 15 minutes because all his movies are just so quiet and it's people just like praying to God and like wondering about like what, it, what matters in this world. And that's like all of his movies and that one and the hidden life is very much like that for three hours. But um, yeah, it's, he's one of those guys where um, I, there's a lot of people out there who'd be like, his, all his movies are stupid and I can kind of get it. Cause it's just like, it's, if you look at it at their face, it's just like a lot of like shots of nature and like leaves rustling in the wind and whatnot. But um, I really like his stuff and I, yeah, I do want to check out more of it. Yeah. So that is our thoughts on Terrence Malick. Um, and also this week's episode of the movie Bible podcast. Um, we'll be back next week talking about a few other odds and ends um, just coming out where we've, we've really ramped up box office wise, but we're about to slow way back down. Um, so it should be interesting. Hopefully we'll also have more answers to the tenant pooping question. Um, but the only way to find out is by checking out next week. Remember, you can always find us online at moviebabble.com. Bye.